Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Yesterday we started talking about the church in Antioch. Today we're going to take up even more and find out there's no perfect church. There's just churches better than others. The church in Antioch was a great church, but it wasn't perfect. There were still mistakes in there, but a church of grace always handles their problem in the grace of God. Let's go and study more about the church in Antioch. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome back to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. I began uh, yesterday and will finish today on the church at Antioch and the purpose of the church at Antioch. And the church at Antioch was raised up because the church of Jerusalem began to fail. It was in Jerusalem where Jesus ministered. It was in Jerusalem where Jesus went to the cross. All that area around there. And this is where the first church was set up on the day of Pentecost. It says that that same day after they were filled with the Holy Spirit and all that, that they began to assemble together. And uh, they came to church, heard the word of God. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking a bread, fellowship, and again, prayers, all the different things that went on that church, and that's what caused the church to grow. But after a while, as so many Jews begin to get saved, and then some of the Pharisees even, devout Jews got saved, they brought with them the law. And so they kept trying to mix the two together. Here was probably the common thinking. Didn't God give the law? Yes. Didn't God give grace? Yeah. Well, there's got to be a way to mix the two together, and the two don't mix. Living in grace helps you fulfill the law, but you can't fulfill the law without understanding grace because you can't fulfill the law on yourself. But if you approach God by God's grace, he gives you the power to fulfill the law. That's how the two work together. Well, the church at Jerusalem began to slip further and further back into, well, yeah, but you know, if God gave the feast days, the fast days, if he gave, you know, tithing and all this, then we've got to keep those. And in that case, if you don't do those, you're not spiritual. On top of that, you may not be saved at all. And so the church became filled again with measuring skirt length and hair length and and you know whether or not you said the right things whether you brought your tithe whether you whether you uh, paid all your dues whether you observed the sabbath day i mean all these different things and that got even more and circumcision became a major issue if men were not circumcised to where all of a sudden their their eyes got off of grace and started coming back to legalism or the law and so because it got so bad, God raised up another church at Antioch. And actually, here's kind of what happened. The church at Jerusalem became the outreach leader for witnessing to Jews. But the church at Antioch became the central point for ministering to the Gentile nations. And Saul, who later became Paul, Saul of Tarsus, has now been brought in by Barnabas. And Barnabas came to Antioch. And when he did, the church of Jerusalem sent him to Antioch because they heard something was stirring over there. So he went over there and the first thing he saw was when he got there, it's grace. These people believe in grace. And they begin to understand something is that these people never had the law to go back into it. These people were just saved off the streets, saved out of Gentile nations and just loved Jesus and loved each other and found out without preaching the law, they kept the law because of the word of God in them, the love for God, the love for Jesus. And basically you want to keep all the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, then love your neighbor as yourself. These two were the major emphasis of grace at the church in Antioch. 
So in these verses of scripture, Antioch was Paul's ministry foundation for Macedonia and the Ephesus revival. I want you to turn with me to chapter 11. Again, we started there yesterday and brought up some things from chapter 11. But in chapter 11, I want you to take a look with me at some verses of scripture. Beginning in verse 27 down through verse 30, it says, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Holy Spirit, there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers dwelling in Judea. And this is the church at Jerusalem. And this they did and sent it by the elders and by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I want you to notice something, a church that was legalistic, would never send a church that believed in grace any relief because they don't consider the people worthy. They put the doctrine ahead of the needs of the people, but quite the opposite happened at the church here in Antioch when they had a prophecy come to them about a great drought was going to come into that area. They sent food, they sent money, they sent clothing, they sent all these things back over to the church here in Jerusalem. And again, we find out that they had a love for people. The issue of legalism didn't even matter to them. These were people who needed things. And so this is again with the driving force and what caused the church here at Antioch to explode and to get so large because of the grace of God. And it kept growing every single day. We do have problems that happened at the church at Antioch. And let's take a look at it. Paul and Barnabas, and John Mark returned to Antioch after delivering the relief to Jerusalem and something happened. It was time for them to go out on a new missionary journey and Barnabas this time couldn't go. The church was getting so large, he felt the call. The pastor turned it over to Saul and said, Saul, why don't you do this? But Saul said, no, Barnabas, I want you to go with me. Let's take and let's train up Mark for the next one. So that all three went. In Acts chapter 12, verse 25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. This is the man that wrote the book of Mark, and he's just a young boy. The book of Mark really probably is not written by Mark. Mark was a very close patriot and a very close partner with Peter. And so probably Mark wrote his, his book from the talks and from the things he wrote about, the things he got from Peter. Peter was right there with Jesus. Mark was not always there, so Mark wrote this book. But eventually Barnabas became the pastor at Antioch. Like I said, he had a call on his life. The church became the great evangelistic and teaching center to Gentile nations, to Macedonia, to Asia, and to Rome. From there, great churches began and which fill some two-thirds of the New Testament. The congregation at Antioch was used by Paul and Barnabas to help raise up new ministers like John Mark. Paul would train them as part of a traveling team and his training became very large. But now we come to a point and, and Paul and Barnabas are now going to be sent to the Gentile world from Antioch in chapter 13, verses one through three. Barnabas is going to eventually become the pastor of the church, but this is what led up to him being called to that. It happened at the church at Antioch, a visitation of the Holy Spirit. Ministers 
coming together, Gentile ministers coming together, and the Holy Spirit spoke during that time by a prophet. Acts chapter 13, let's take a look at verses one through three. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, this came through the mouth of a prophet, we're not told who it was, but the Holy Spirit said this, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Up until now, they had a calling on their life, but the point of separation had not come. Between that point of calling and separation, they were just being faithful to their ministry. And now the Holy Spirit says, it's time for the separation to come, for the work that I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Antioch's reputation for teaching grace and the power of the Holy Spirit was known everywhere, including Jerusalem. And the leadership at Jerusalem eventually became jealous and needed to know what was going on in Antioch. James, the Jerusalem pastor and other legalistic leaders sent Peter to spy on the Antioch church. And this is why I'm also recommending, along with my book on uh, Acts that is gonna, is gonna be told you here when halftime comes up, they'll tell you about how you can have a copy of this because these stories I'm giving come from the book of Acts. But also besides the book of Acts, the book of Galatians, I'm mentioning this. The book of Acts is what you can order, but when you do order it, why don't you take a look at the website and order the book of Galatians too, because the story I'm about to tell you, it came from the book of Galatians. It's not mentioned in the book of Acts, but it tells when it happened. And this is a very important story when it comes to the importance of a church standing on and teaching and remaining in grace. Some churches start in grace, but after a while from pressure from legalistic people, they begin to tend more and more and a little leaven begins to leaven the whole lump. Galatians chapter two, take a look with me here at verse 11 through 14. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, he's been sent from Jerusalem. And here we take up where Acts left off. Now, when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those of the circumcision. Here's what happened. Peter came to Antioch and he came to spy out what was going on there. And the moment he walked into the church, he felt freedom like he had never felt before for years back in Jerusalem. And he said, oh my goodness, I remember when we first got filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what it felt like. How have we drifted so far from it? He got so involved there. And while he stayed there, instead of putting him in a hotel, they had him stay with some Gentiles. And of course, if he lived with Gentiles during that time, guess what he's gonna eat? Gentile food. I'm sure when they probably one morning, you know, put some sausage on his plate. He said, what's this? They said, sausage. He goes, ooh. But then that housetop vision came back to him. Oh yeah, what God is clean, don't call any man, don't call it unclean. So Peter went ahead and ate it and probably thought, I've died and gone to heaven. This stuff is wonderful. Then he began to eat some other food too. He probably had some shrimp one night and went, oh my goodness, this stuff is great. Look what I've been left out on. So again, the verse says, when Peter had come to Antioch, I was stood to the face because he was to be blamed. For before, 
that certain men came from James. After a while, Peter couldn't be heard from. He was enjoying himself, coming to church, praising God, standing around Gentiles. Nobody cared if their skirt length was right or their hair length was right. No one asked at the front door of all the men, are you circumcised? Are you keeping the Sabbath day? None of that was going on. They just came to worship God, be friends with each other, see people get saved, see people get filled with the Holy Spirit, see them get uh, healed. All the different things that happen. It says before that certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. He ate Gentile food. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. And the Greek word for separated men, he became a hypocrite. And fearing those of the circumstance, he suddenly moved out of that Gentile house. He wouldn't associate with them because in fear, these people from the circumcision, these men that were from the Jewish belief and now had got saved were bringing their legalism with them. And he remembered, they sent me here to spy out this church and I'm not doing a very good job. In fact, I haven't even contacted the church at Jerusalem. That's why these guys have come. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with them. You know what happened? This one one act of legalism split the church at Antioch right down the middle and Jews and Gentiles were suddenly parted from each other, just like in the church at Jerusalem, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, and when I saw that they were not honest about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, if you being Jews live like the manner of Gentiles and not like the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Were you right, Peter, as a Jew, or were you right as a Gentile? You came to this church and acted like a Gentile. Were you sinning by doing so, and you should have been acting like a Jew? And what he's simply saying is, why did you come here, and why did you live like you did? Because of the presence of God. Antagonism always comes from legalism toward grace, not from grace toward legalism. Yet our freedom is not to be used as an occasion by the flesh to sin, but that's what Peter did, and Paul had to straighten him out in front of the entire congregation because the entire congregation was guilty of it, including Barnabas, the pastor, got caught up and stood on the side of the Jews. Ah, what an occasion. What happened at that church? I'll see you right after the break. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by his spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannian explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyandian.com. The Apostle Paul knew that works can't bring salvation. The Galatian churches, after believing the gospel of grace in Christ, were misled into Jewish law. Paul wrote to them, confronting their foolishness. His letter declared salvation by faith alone, not based on effort or observance, but solely upon the grace of God. In this New Testament commentary on Galatians, Bob Yandian defines legalism, its effects on the Galatians, and its impact on today's church. Seeing how legalism infected the Galatian churches, we can learn to overcome this subtle attack on believers today. To order this New Testament commentary on Galatians, 
visit our website at bobbyendian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Well, welcome back. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 15. What I'm talking about in this particular story, the ones I'm bringing out from Galatians and also from Acts and going back and forth because Galatians deals a lot with the church at Antioch. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because even in a church that teaches grace, legalism can come in. I mean, and this is what happened. It happened here with Peter. When Peter came in and the people, I mean, when Peter got there, he must have been well known. He was one of the original 12 that was around Jesus. And by being that, the people there became impressed by him. And all of a sudden too, living like a Gentile, eating with them, and for him to suddenly back off caused all the Jews there to go, huh, maybe there's something here. Even Barnabas, the pastor, got caught up in the hypocrisy and Paul had to straighten the whole bunch out. Well, now we're going to find out Paul became legalistic in Antioch over a young man named Mark. And Mark, we've talked about him a little bit before, but he went on, when he went on that trip with Paul and Barnabas, and again, Barnabas was there and Paul was, and Barnabas was there to help Paul to actually train Mark, this young man, for ministry. And Mark makes a great failure and Paul becomes legalistic over it. Let's take a look at it. Acts chapter 15, take a look at verse 36. We're gonna go down through verse 41. While you're finding that, let me just say, some of you may be watching this broadcast for the first time. Maybe you joined us yesterday for the first time, caught the beginning of this story, and you hung around today to hear the end of it about the reason why we need churches that teach grace and not legalistic churches. But again, on this, and you're listening now, and you're going, I like this, this kind of teaching. Well, this is what I believe that proper teaching, and, and again, there's all types of teaching, but what I believe is one of the best ways for teaching is just line upon line and precept upon precept. Let the Bible speak for itself. And yes, it's fine to have stories, but I believe the Bible stories are the best. I can throw a few of my stories in, but you know what? What's, what's my story compared to what the Word of God has to say? My stories may help you a little bit, but God's stories in the Word of God produce faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Give you the Word for these. And so what I'm teaching you by these history lessons out of the book of Acts, now the book of Galatians, helps you to understand legalism with an anointing of the Holy Spirit on it. And so... If you like this and would like to become a partner with me, I would appreciate it. You know what? I can use all the partners I can get because my vision keeps expanding. More things I want to do, more stations I'd like to go on, more books I'd like to print, more ways to get a hold of people before Jesus comes back. And please, I'd love for you to stand with me because I can do it because God called me. But you know what? I can't do it if people don't help me fulfill the call. The call comes from God, but actually comes to pass by people helping fulfill, taking hands, joining with me in unity. If you'd like to become a partner with me and join the many hundreds who already are, then why don't you go to my website, bobyandian.com. There's a place on there you can become a partner with me. And thank you for hearing from God and thank you for obeying God or just thank you for just being willing and joining in because you want to become a partner with this broadcast. I greatly appreciate it. Acts chapter 15, this is when Paul became legalistic over Mark deserting him. 
And this all came out of the Antioch church as they were traveling. And again, they got to a place here, Pamphylia. And this is where Mark is going to run away. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of God and see there how they are doing. This includes Galatia, one of the first churches that Paul established. Well, that's why these two books are so closely tied together. Verse 37, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take him with them who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. In Pamphylia, this is where Mark deserted. Mark was probably a mama's boy. And they took him out. He was so excited, probably just had all kinds of, new, you know, excitement. I'm going to go out and minister the gospel. And he ended up just doing work for them. You know, he, you don't start out preaching. He probably, you know, set up their book table and set up the hotel and all those different things. He's got grunt work to do. And then in Pamphylia, where they were, there were many pirates. Scary place to be. And Barnabas and Paul woke up one morning and Mark was gone. And he ran back to mama. We're told later on he ran back to his mother. In verse 38, but Paul insisted they should not take him with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Paul separated here in these verses of scripture from Barnabas, good friends in the ministry, but they separated over the different opinions of Mark. Paul took a legalistic view of Mark and said, we don't want him anymore. And Barnabas said, give him a second chance. How many of us would be in the ministry today if Paul stood over us and said, I don't trust Bob. He screwed up. He messed up. And you too. And Paul forgets his own mess ups, how that he also has messed up at times. So it says Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Notice when they went out in two different directions and had a difference between them. The church people were smarter than they were. The church people acted in grace and they simply commended them to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul later admitted that he was wrong about Mark in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, as Paul was getting ready to be killed and knew in that chapter he would be, he went down the list of people that he had worked with, some he was thankful for, some he remarked that they had mistreated him, but he mentioned Mark in this verse of scripture. 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you for he is profitable to me for the ministry. He saw a change in Mark and knew that he was wrong. This was in essence a way of apologizing. A grace church doesn't isn't a church because it never makes mistakes. A church believes that the grace of God, that when you do make mistakes, the grace of God is there to take over and everyone deserves a second chance or a third chance or a hundredth chance. How many of you had? How many ministers have given you a break or how many people in life have given you a break and you're thankful for it? And how many others wouldn't have given you a break at all because you only got one chance to make it right? You know, I was in a church one time, a pastor was asking me, he and his wife were talking to me and my wife because we were there for a meeting and he said, uh, uh, how many chances do you give somebody that works with you, you know, before you finally fire them? I said, I don't know. I said, you know, I, I, I examine them. I, I listen to them. And if, and if I, if I listen to what they say and I, and I trust them, I might give them a third chance, maybe a fourth chance, whatever. He said, no, I believe in three strikes and you're out. I looked at my wife, Loretta, and said, you know what? We'd have been out of the ministry years ago if all we had was three strikes. 
Thank God for people that see you in grace and thank God for people that look at you and say, I had more than three chances. Someone believed in me. And anyway, I told him, I said, well, you know what? You can have that, but thank God somebody believed in me more than three times. He didn't have much to say after that. All I can say is we want to set these laws down sometimes. Everybody only gets this much and no two people are the same. With some people, I would say, yeah, third strike, you're out. The other two, you didn't sound very repentant. You still don't sound very repentant. So listen, go your way, find something else to do. But there's others who honestly make mistakes time after time. And yet each time you can tell there's a genuineness in them and a lot of their falling apart and a lot of their mistakes are just simply a product of immaturity. It takes a while to get rid of immaturity. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't give Peter three chances? Aren't you glad he gave him more? And throughout the word of God, he did that. And here we have, in this case, even Paul admitted, I was wrong about Mark. Mark has turned out to be a good minister. And Paul probably thought about, you know what? Thank God somebody gave me more than three chances. So I come back to it. Is there such a thing as a perfect church? The answer is no. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And so if you have a church that believes in the grace of God, you're still, you say, well, why can't it be perfect? Because it's filled with people. People aren't perfect. Well, I thought they were born again. They're perfect on the inside, but they've got a long way to go in their natural life. The renewing of the mind is what really brings us to the point of spiritual maturity, Romans chapter 12. And by the renewing of the mind, we begin to think like Jesus does. When I get born again, the spirit of Bob is replaced by the spirit of Christ. He comes to live in me. But listen, perfection comes as I get rid of the mind of Bob and take on the mind of Christ. And that takes a lifetime. I'm simply saying this, if you got saved when you were 30 years old, you got 30 years of undoing to do to where you start to think like the Bible. And there comes a point one day when you know you've reached maturity, when you start to make a decision and you look for scripture. What's the scripture say on this? Rather than what does my own wit say about me? What have I done before? That's not the way to approach it. Approach it from the word of God. And you know, you're starting to walk in maturity whenever a problem comes along. And the first thing you think about is a scripture and you start to stand on it, confess it, believe it, and have patience for it to come to pass. So is there such a thing as a perfect church? No. On top of that, a perfect church, you know, that, that I would say as close to perfection as possible is a church that teaches grace. But when the church teaches grace, you have to realize something. We're always going to see people coming to know Jesus. There's always going to be immature. There's always going to be baby Christians in the church and they need to grow up. So again, there's no such thing as a perfect church. There are only better churches than others. One day a lady told me in church after church, she was looking for a perfect church. I told her she would have to wait until she came to heaven. There Jesus is the pastor. The worship leaders are angels on earth. We still have this treasure in earthen vessels, which are really human bodies. Do you have it on your heart to begin a church? Many of you watching right now, ministers, have it on your heart to start a church. Make grace your number one message, along with the other teachings of the New Testament, salvation and faith, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. All these things are very important, but let grace be your main foundation. Again, compare the church at Antioch 
and compare it to the church at Jerusalem. Jerusalem got so wrapped up in legalism they became critical of everybody else. The church over here at Antioch did not become critical of other churches. And even when the church at Jerusalem, who had sent spies to come over and check on them, they found out the people were going through a difficult time. It had been prophesied. They got together, they got money, they got clothing, they got food, things like that, and sent that over to them because they didn't care about the doctrine. They cared about people. Grace people care about pleasing God and helping others around them. The first way we help others around them, lead them to Jesus. The next week, get them filled with the Holy Spirit. The next thing, help them to grow into disciples. So again, make grace your number one message. But also on the other hand, understand you're gonna have times of temptation yourself. You're gonna have time where you, do I make this decision? Not? And at times you even make the wrong decision. Go back and correct it. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for people that understand grace. And grace is there to fill you in in your life for the mistakes you have made and the mistakes you're going to make later on down the road. Salvation, faith, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and the daily walk of the believer should all be taught on a foundation of grace. This is a church which will last, and many will be sent out into the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our church through the years, we've sent out so many people, hundreds of them around the world, and there's missionaries out there today, churches out there. There's all types of organizations, and members of our church went there to start them, work with them, and are still in the ministry today. This is the importance of the grace of God. We cannot last without the grace of God. Grace is not our license to sin. It's our license to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. See you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. Join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.